As we prepare to get into God's Word this morning, let me just start with a question for you to think about. Just don't answer out loud, but just think about this big question. Who is Jesus? Who is He, really? I'm guessing if you went down to the mall and asked 50 people at random who they think Jesus is, you could well get 50 different answers. And the interesting thing is, several of those answers might actually be correct. Jesus himself answered the question and described himself with several different answers. Just like if you were to ask me, uh, who do you, if I were to ask you, who do you, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? You, you could give several correct answers. You could say, well, you are Scott Roberson. Uh, you are the husband of Karen. You, you are the son of Ron and Dixie. You are the father of Paul and John and Daniel. You are a pastor. You are a teacher. Uh, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And all those answers would be right. In the same way, there are several correct answers to the question, who is Jesus? When Jesus asked his followers that question, who do you say I am? The Apostle Peter answered, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said he was right. And then listen to some of the other ways Jesus described himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am the resurrection and the life. And there's more. The Bible uses several other titles to describe Jesus. Here are a few of them. He is the Word of God. He is the Living One. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's amazing, isn't it? All the different ways we can answer Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Here is the most amazing answer. It's got to be. And we see it in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to the book of Titus, do that, or there's a note sheet in your folder. Words will be on the screen. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Notice what it says about who Jesus is. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works." Did you catch that? Who is Jesus? He is our great 
God and Savior. Wow. Let that one sink in. Even if you already believed it before you walked in here today, I would urge you, don't just hurry past that. Don't, don't say to yourself, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know that already. Stop. Consider what an amazing thing is said here. Jesus is God. Is that really what this is saying? Yeah, it really is. It really is. Now, I know not everybody believes that. And uh, not, not everybody who claims to believe the Bible agree that's what this is saying. But you, you'll have some people come to your door who don't believe that Jesus is God. And they'll say, well, no, no, that's, that's a bad translation. They're mistaken. This translation is right on. But here's the thing. Even if verse 13 did not specifically call Jesus God in so many words which it does. But even if it didn't, you could not you could not avoid the conclusion that he is God. Okay, back in chapter 1 of Titus, verse 3, you find this expression, God our savior. In the very next verse, you find this expression, Christ Jesus our savior. Then you get to chapter 3. Verse 4 says, God our Savior. Two verses later, verse 6, it says, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So who's our Savior? God is. Jesus is. How many Saviors are there? Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. One Savior. Besides this, there are many, many other places in the Bible that make it very clear that Jesus is God. We could spend a lot of time looking at a lot of different verses. It really is what the Bible teaches. But here's the question. Does it matter? Does it really matter if we believe that Jesus is God? What difference does it make if He is? Well, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. And we're going to see that right here in this passage in Titus 2. But before we get there, it might help if we just first ask the question a different way. Instead of saying, does it matter if, if Jesus is God? What if we asked it this way? Does it matter if we know the real Jesus? Does that matter? Because see, if Jesus really is God, if that's who He really is, then we need to know Him as God or we don't know the real Jesus. And Jesus gave this warning to His followers in Matthew 24. It says, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in My name, saying, I am the Christ. 
and they will lead many astray. So see, if you don't get the right Christ, if you don't get the right Jesus, the real Jesus, you, you don't just, you know, make a little mistake. You get led astray. You go the wrong direction. The wrong way. And it doesn't lead to God. And I know people will say there are many paths to God. But that isn't what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when one of his followers heard that, a guy named Philip, Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How in the world could Jesus say that? Because He's God. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, three personalities, one God. Say, I don't really understand that. I know. I don't either. Okay? But the issue is not whether or not we fully understand it. That's not the issue. The issue is what is true? What is real? Who is God really? If we don't know the real Jesus, then we don't know the real God. And this is not about being right so we can win arguments. You know? Some of those people come to our front door, we can say, no, you're wrong. We got the, we got the right argument here. And it's not so we can be right so, you know, we can, we can have, you know, really accurate doctrinal statements. That's not what this is ultimately about. The reason why we need to be right is so we can know the real God. So we can know Him. Really know Him. Now, let's look at our passage and let's see some other reasons why it matters. Why it matters that Jesus is God. Here's one. It matters because only God can save us. And Jesus did. Only God can save us. And Jesus did. Verse 13 says, Jesus is our great God and Savior. And then we looked at those other verses that say, God is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. We get to chapter 3, verse 4. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. What is all this talking about? Well, it's talking about Jesus coming into the world. That's when the grace of God appeared. Jesus came into the world. Jesus died on a cross in our place to rescue us. That's what the word save means. To rescue us from the judgment we deserve because of our, <coughs> our sin. And the point that I want to stress here is that only God could do that. 
Only God could do that. And God the Son, who has always been God, with God the Father and God the Spirit, God the Son became a man because He had to become a man to die for us. And He did it because only His death could save us. Hey, why is that? Why could only God save us? Okay, here's the answer. And it might sound really strange when you first hear it. Because we needed to be saved from God. And only God could save us from God. Now, people will often quote the verse, God is love. And they quote it in such a way that, that they imply that, you know, that's all we need to know. God is love. That, that's all there is to it. That, that just takes care of everything. But that's not all the Bible says about God. Yes, God is love. But the Bible says He is also holy. And He is righteous. He is just. He's fair. He's good. And God cannot act in any way that's going to violate or contradict any of His qualities. God cannot be unjust any more than God can be unloving. So, when people ask a question like, well, how, how could a God of love send anybody to hell? Another question needs to be asked. How could a God of justice allow anyone who's guilty into heaven? Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, people, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God. Now the wrath of God is not an arbitrary temper tantrum. As if God's a big grouch, and He's really irritable, and He throws a fit. That is not God's wrath. God's wrath is His holy, righteous, unwavering hatred of evil. His unwavering opposition to all that is evil. God cannot allow evil to go unpunished any more than a good judge can allow guilty criminals to go free because that would be saying that evil doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And this is our biggest problem. This is our biggest problem. I don't know what you might say our biggest problem is. I do know what the Bible says our biggest problem is. Our biggest problem is that we are sinners. And our sin is responsible, the sin of the human race and rebellion against God, our sin is responsible for all of the evil that infects this world. Now, we might think we'd like it if God would just stop making a big deal out of sin. 
If you just overlook it, you know, come on, God, you're God of love. Just let it go. Stop making a big deal out of it. But I guarantee you, you might think we'd like that. I guarantee you, you would have a problem with it when it comes to some sins. There are some things, there are some sins you would not be okay with God just sweeping under the rug. I was reading recently of a woman, I think it was in Nigeria, Christian family. Her husband was a pastor. She had three children. And on one day, terrorists came to their home. And because her husband was a pastor, they shot him and killed him. They shot and killed her 13-year-old son. They came back a month later and they kidnapped her eight and nine-year-old daughters. She has not seen them for over a year. Would it be okay if God just let that go? Would that be all right? No, it wouldn't. And I'm sure somebody's going to say, yeah, well, okay, but that sin is really bad. Yes. But all sin is really bad. I'm not saying all sins are equal. But all sin is really bad. Sin always hurts. Sin always destroys. Sin always ruins. Sin always messes up. Sin always dishonors God. Our problem is we just don't see sin the way God sees it because we get confused. We get, you know, blinded. God sees every sin in all of its true ugliness. He can't let sin go unpunished and still be good. He can't do it. So this is our desperate problem. God is good. God is the source of life. God is the source of purpose. God is the source of joy. And apart from Him, there's only death. And yet, our sin separates us from Him. We stand guilty before an absolutely holy God who is bound by His righteous character to condemn us. And we can't do a thing to make ourselves not guilty. But God did. God did. God made a way. Not by ignoring our sin, not by sweeping it under the rug, but by causing its penalty to fall on Himself in the person of His Son. That's what He did in the cross of Jesus Christ. God took the wrath of God and absorbed it in Jesus Christ. Do you know what the cross of Jesus shows us? Say, so, yeah, that's easy. It shows us God's love. You're right. It absolutely does. Romans 5.8. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows His love for us. But it does more than that. The cross does. It shows us God's justice. 
Romans 3.26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that He, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What that's saying is, because of what Jesus has done for us, God can forgive our sins. God can justify us and still be righteous. Because those who have faith in Jesus, God accounts all of their sin as paid in full on the cross of Jesus. Don Carson says this, do you want to see the greatest evidence of the love of God? Go to the cross. Do you want to see the greatest evidence of the justice of God? Go to the cross. In the cross of Jesus, wrath and mercy meet. It matters that Jesus is God because only God could save us and Jesus did. Here's another reason why it matters. It matters because only God can give us hope. Only God can give us hope. And Jesus does. Only God can give us hope and Jesus does. What is hope? Hope is confidence. Hope is the confident expectation that things are going to get better. No matter how messed up things are now, things are going to get better. It's that expectation, that confidence. Good is coming. And verse 13 says that those of us who have put our trust in Christ are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love that. Blessed hope. That literally means happy hope. It's our happy hope. Happy hope. Happy confidence we have that Jesus is going to come again because that is when things are going to get really, 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 really good. That's what's coming. Now until then, until then we might experience good things. And we do. By God's grace. But you know, even the best times, isn't this true? Even the best times are always touched with at least a little bit of sadness. Even if it's just the knowledge that this good time is not going to last. Even the best times, that there's this sadness. And sometimes the sadness that touches our joy is a lot deeper than that. My son John, our son John, he's going to get married just, just over a month. We are really excited about that. That is going to be fun. That is going to be a major celebration. But you know, on this Mother's Day, I can't help but think my mom won't be there to see it. She would have loved to have seen that. She passed away just over a year ago. Joy and grief mingled together. That's how it is. And sometimes there is a lot that happens in this world and there's no joy in it at all. It's just flat out awful. Sandy Hook, mass murder in an elementary school, Boston Marathon, terrorist bombs, 
Last week in the news, three teenage girls kidnapped, held captive for over 10 years of their life. And then there's the stuff that doesn't make the news. Over 3,000 unborn children put to death every single day in our country. Over 3,000. And there's just the daily heartbreak of disease and death striking somebody we know. This world is broken. It is broken. How can we possibly have hope that things are going to get better and stay that way? Who can make that promise? That things are going to get better? Who can promise absolutely without any hesitation, without any risk of being mistaken, that things are going to get better and stay better? That good will certainly triumph over evil and that everything that is wrong will be made right? Who can make that promise? Politicians? Scientists? Educators? No, because they're all in the same boat we are. They're limited. They're imperfect. They're fallible. And just like us, they're subject to selfishness and foolishness. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying, you've never met, you've never met anybody in this world who can promise you a pain-free, disappointment-free future and deliver on the promise. They can't do it. Only the one who knows the future and can control the future can guarantee the future. Only God can give us hope. And Jesus does. He said in John 14.3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself that where I am, that where I am, you may also be. You know what I love about that promise is it it tells us that what we're waiting for is not so much an event. You know, we're waiting for the second coming of Christ. No, what we're really waiting for is a person. We're waiting for a person who is glorious. Verse 13 says, we're waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The appearing of His glory is not some impersonal thing. It's the appearing of Him. The beauty and the wonder of the greatness of Him. It's like a groom in a wedding ceremony. i got a wedding on the brain, so I'll just go with it. It's like a groom in a wedding ceremony. You know, and he's standing up here at the front of the church, and he's looking back anxiously. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for the appearing of the glory of the bride. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for her. He's waiting for her, the love of his life. The music will play, the doors will open, and there she will be in all of her splendor. That's the kind of waiting we're supposed to be doing. That's the kind of waiting we're to be doing. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed. Fully. We, it's so easy for us to put our hope in so many other things, isn't it? It really is, you know. Put my hope in finishing school or getting that job, new career, getting married, having kids, buying a house, taking a trip, having a good retirement someday. 
We can put our hope in so many things. And those are all good things, or they can be good things if we keep them in the proper perspective. But listen, none of those things is certain. None of those things is certain. And none of those things will fix everything that's wrong with us. So don't put your hope in them. Yes, by all means, enjoy them as good gifts. But don't put your hope in them as if that's going to fix everything. That's going to make everything good. Everything's going to be great now. Only God can give us hope. And that's why it really matters that Jesus is God. Because only God can give us hope and Jesus does. Okay, one more. It matters because only God can satisfy us. And Jesus will. I don't have time to really elaborate on this. Only to say this. You and I were created to delight in the glory of God. That's what we were made to enjoy most of all. You and I have a built-in thirst for greatness, for beauty, for goodness that, that nothing else can really quench. Because, it, see, every other good thing you ever see, every other good thing that you ever enjoy is just a reflection of the goodness of the glory of God. We can never be satisfied with anything less. Not completely. Oh, people try, you know. People try all kinds of things to find deep down satisfaction, satisfy that thirst for joy, but nothing, nothing ever really works. C.S. Lewis said something amazing. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for the glory of God, and the glory of God can hardly be seen in this dark world. But if we believe in Jesus, we will see it. We will see it when He comes, and He makes all things new. Why? Because Jesus is the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3, the Son, S-O-N, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. And if you belong to Him by faith, then this promise is for you. Listen to it. Colossians 3.4 When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. And then we will know the full extent of the satisfaction we were created for. That's why it matters that Jesus is God. It matters because only God can satisfy us and Jesus will. Only God can give us hope. Jesus does. Only God could save us. Jesus did. Do you know the real Jesus? Do you know Him? Because you can. You can. He has made the way. He said, come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'm the bread of life. Everyone who comes to Me will hunger no more forever. The one who believes in Me will never thirst. Have you put your trust in Him? You can do that. One day Jesus said this, John 5.22. He said, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as... Don't miss those two little words. 
just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In other words, this is saying we are to give Jesus the same honor we give to God the Father. Now, if Jesus isn't God, that's unthinkable. But He is. So honor Him. How do you honor Him? With your trust. With your need. You know, the only thing we ever bring to Jesus is our need. We bring our sin. That's what He wants us to do. So honor Him with your trust. Put your trust in Him. Ask Him to save you if you haven't. And if you don't know what that means, you don't know what that looks like, I'd be glad to talk to you after this. Just come on down and talk to me. Or write on that Connect card that's in your folder. Just say, hey, I have questions. I'd like to talk to somebody about this. Or talk to a friend that you're with. Put your hope in Him. Ask Him to save you. Put your hope in Him. And look forward to the satisfaction that He alone can give you. Don't try to find it in something else. It won't work. Find it in Him. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank You for sending Your Son. Lord Jesus, thank You for coming so willingly to take upon Yourself the wrath of God. Holy Spirit, thank You for opening our eyes to see the wonder of who Jesus is. Help us to honor You, Lord Jesus. We pray in Your name. Amen.